Hello and welcome to Beyond Japan, an interdisciplinary podcast that looks at the broad reach of Japanese studies from within and beyond Japan. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Japanese Studies at the University of East Anglia, in collaboration with the Sainsbury Institute for the Study of Japanese Arts and Cultures. I'm your host, Oliver Moxham, Project Coordinator at the Centre for Japanese Studies and Researcher of Japanese War Heritage. This week we are in discussion with Dr. Hannah Osborne, Senior Lecturer of Japanese Literature at UEA, who will be exploring with us the diverse, powerful and increasingly international field that is modern Japanese literature. Good morning, Hannah. Thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Um, Oliver. I'd like to just start by asking you, um, how were you introduced to Japanese literature and why did you pursue this interest into academia? Well, as an undergraduate, I took all the modules related to Japanese history. I was a history undergraduate at the University of Sheffield, and um, it was sort of under the tutelage of Dr. Gordon Daniels that we did a module on um, wartime Japan, and I ended up uh, um, doing an extended essay on war literature or literature that reflected upon the war and I read for that um, Masaji Ibuse's Black Rain um, and also another short story by him um, which is lesser well known called um, Noriai Didosha or The Charcoal Burning Bus and um, I was just really uh, struck by them I mean uh, we kind of I think throughout that course anyway been imparted with this kind of uh idea of Japanese people as being sort of self-effacing and um, gentle in their humor and so on through through uh, Gordon Daniels and the way he kind of conveyed things um, that had happened in Japan. But this really kind of came across in um, Black Rain. And obviously the the subject matter, the atomic bombing of Hiroshima is one that's incredibly sort of bleak and and mm. and, and terrible. But um, what shines through is this sort of gentle humour that um, is sort of almost life affirming. And it, it kind of almost uh, reveals itself as a sort of statement of philosophy, you know, which manages to humanise people even in 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 the midst of such a catastrophe so I think I was really struck by that and um and how I ended up pursuing it it is rather long-winded but I went to Japan myself after my undergraduate degree um and with the determination I felt very disappointed that I hadn't studied the language and um because I had enjoyed studying languages um at a level and um and uh, I was determined to learn it. So I went myself and um, and I worked and studied sort of in the morning. <laughs> and um, by the end of my time in Japan, I was there for about four years. I was reading um, Japanese literature in Japanese and, um, and, and developed a real interest in it there and came back and took an MA at SOAS um, in Japanese literature with uh, Professor Stephen Dodd. So wow. that that was sort of how it all snowballed, I guess. Quite an amazing journey. So um, I realise this might be a very difficult question to answer concisely, but uh, could you 
help define for us what is modern Japanese literature? It is a very big question and it's a question that sort of um, various big figures in the uh, Japanese literary establishment or in, in Japanese criticism continually ask and it's one that we um, are still contemplating even today. Um, and certainly, you know, at the advent of the Meiji period in 1868, when Japan opened its doors after 214 years of sakoku, or isolationism, the meaning of all of these terms, modern Japanese and literature, had yet to be established. So what did it mean to be modern? Did it simply mean reaching a level of industrialization and technological advancement? Um, or did it mean that the people of the country had to be educated in certain ways and adopt certain modern habits and tastes that were similar to those in the West, uh, such as frequenting dance halls, allowing women greater autonomy or traveling about? Did modern simply mean anything Western or could the East of Japan modernize in its own unique way? And similarly, what did it mean to be Japanese? What was Japanese about Japanese people? What made them different? And where was such difference located? Was it biological? Was it cultural? Were there um, aspects of Japanese culture that were innately Japanese? And could they still be called Japanese if they evolved to include ideas and importations from other cultures? And finally, what was literature? The literary forms that had existed up until and during the Edo period, um, whether illustrated fiction such as gesaku, poetic forms such as waka or haiku, or even dramatic forms such as kabuki or joruri puppet shows, differed in various significant ways to those forms they encountered on opening their country. So in particular, the idea that fiction, such as the modern novel, could be considered a highbrow art soon began to interest Japanese intellectuals. And we have this race that began to try and produce something which was in some way commensurate. Um, and this was not as easy as it sounds because it entailed writing in a manner which appeared to emulate modern speech patterns. And up until that moment, written forms in Japanese differ greatly from spoken forms. So interestingly, the early instances of successful writing in such a mode, which came to be called genbun ichi, which literally means the harmonization of writing and speech, were achieved by people who were translators um, we have Wakamatsu Shizuko. She has not been credited with such until recently, but she translated Little Lord Fauntleroy, um, which was this hugely successful, best-selling um, novel in, in Japanese. Um, and so was particularly influential in terms of its accomplished Genbun Ichi style. Um, and again, Futabe Shimei, uh, he, he learned Russian at uh, the Tokyo Foreign Language School before translating Turgenev. And then he wrote what is often credited as being the first modern Japanese novel, Ukigumo, which is The Drifting Cloud in 1887. And also more contemporary writers, Haruki Murakami, with whom probably everyone is familiar, apparently wrote his very first novels in English, then translated them into Japanese to make them sound as if they were sort of uh, the script of a foreign film. He wanted to sort of lend them that kind of different sound. And more recently, 
uh, even still we have sort of Yoko Tawada who lives in Germany and she likes to interrogate these intersections between languages in her writing, write, writes both, uh, both in German and Japanese. So in some senses, modern Japanese literature, and this is still true today, has been formed through Japan's intersections with the world beyond, um, through translating from other cultures and languages into Japanese and through its translation back into other languages. So you've painted us a picture of Japanese modern literature being something very much tied up with other countries, a very international field. What is the significance of modern Japanese literature to Japan and the world today? Well, it's very difficult to nail that down precisely, of course, because it's not a precise science. But to the extent that literature is an end in itself, I think we can look at it in that sense. And um, I think we are starting to, with recent political events, to realise this more and more, that having a voice or a platform and being able to tell your story um, and being able to hold up certain versions of reality matters. Um, and that's regardless of whether the, the version of reality is imagined and written in the mode of fantasy or whether it's based in some way on, on actual events and presented realistically. And regardless of whether literature provides certain solutions to the problems it presents us with or whether it leaves us sort of just staring bleakly into an abyss, um, being published and read equates to holding a certain kind of power. And even though that power may not literally result in political representation, it creates an awareness. And it may take a, a long time even for that to percolate through to the surface. But through such an awareness, situations eventually change. I mean, people could contest this, I suppose. But I, I think also just to say that literature has always provided, and this is true in Japan, I think, a sort of alternative forum, uh, one which has been perhaps artificially so, but differentiated and separated from political power. And whereas Japan has been politically conservative in the modern period, it has embraced socially liberal values and all kinds of issues and considerations uh, have been contested throughout the modern period through literature. I mean, to give one, provide one concrete instance where I think, you know, literature in Japan has sort of or can be seen to have affected some kind of major social change, if I can be so bold as to say that. I mean, at the start of uh, the 20th century in Japan, men presided over literary representations. They were the ones who decided who was published and who was not. They critiqued all writers and their writing, and they were often especially discriminatory towards women writers. They told women that they were only fit to be translators, and they sort of saw translation in very sort of uh, derogatory way as just being something that was uh, akin to looking words up in the dictionary and uh, as a menial task. And they said that women were just like monkeys imitating men. And they tried to ensure that women writers presented womanhood in terms that were palatable to them when they did write. 
However, we see sort of various sort of rebellions and subversions of this um, and uh, women setting up their own publications, such as the literary magazine Seto or Blue Stocking, that published writing by renowned feminists such as Tamara Toshiko, Yosano Akiko and Okamoto Kanako. They wrote and published their realities and, and, and they criticised masculine status quo. I mean, inevitably, Seito were shut down, but um, women managed to keep on writing when they could. And um, finally, I suppose it was also, you know, in the aftermath of the Second World War and um, women were able to go to university um, and attend full time courses then. But then in the 60s onwards, you see this sort of real resurgence of women's literature and you have graduates from top universities such as Kurahashi Yumiko, Oba Minako, Takashi Takako emerging and alongside women who've been writing from before the war such as Enti Fumiko and Uno Chiyo and these women started to win notable literary prizes such as the Akutagawa Prize which had hitherto been unfavourable to women writers and these women wrote sort of versions of reality that were really not comfortable reading. They wrote about infanticide, infidelity, murder, sadomasochistic relationships and incest. So um, they were really kind of engaged in challenging notions of women's experience of womanhood as it had been hitherto presented. Uh, instead gave the reader various active and socially subversive female protagonists through their writing. And do you think that these writings have resonated with a global audience? And if so, is that, has that resonated particularly differently from the domestic audience? I think so. I mean, one issue has been in terms of translation. And more recently, um, increasingly, we are getting a, a greater range of women writers, contemporary Japanese women writers translated into English. But for a long while, the overwhelming um, sort of majority of what we what was translated into English, it tended to be um, stuff that was extremely popular, like um, Haruki Murakami's novels or Ryu Murakami or Yukio Mishima, sort of establishment male writing, really, and also stuff that was considered literary you know I mean actually when you talk about Yukio Mishima then it's only recently that we're looking at stuff um, that he wrote alongside his more serious literature um, that's more kind of um, edgy and so yeah because we have not placed any academic value in translations um, although this has started to change in very recent times we are behind countries like France and Italy, which have translated a lot more than the Anglophile countries put together. Also, publishers inevitably have wanted to publish what they think will appeal to us here. We kind of end up with a, a lack of diversity in our translations. But to answer your question more directly, I, I do think um, they where these stories have managed to be translated. They have drawn great interest and um, certainly in terms of scholarly interest in the Japanese studies community, but even beyond. Um, we've recently had um, uh, translations 
um, that have really taken off by writers such as um, uh, Yu Miri um, and her Tokyo Ueno Station. I mean, it's, it's difficult because I think these writers, women writers, have not had such a high profile as um, male writers. But um, certain uh, female writers, very few, have kind of bucked that trend. For instance, Natsuo Kirino's crime novels have become very popular indeed and have become bestsellers in this country too, as have Ogawa Yoko's novels as well. Um, so I think I'd certainly like to see more coming out in translation by writers who have occupied society's margins and whether those margins are determined by location, ethnic background or gender and sexuality. Writers from those marginalised demographics have won literary acclaim in Japan through a repeated process of interrogation of what counts as modern Japanese literature. And perhaps we need to go through a similar process. But having said that, um, I'm always excited by new books coming out in English translation. Looking forward to several that are uh, yet to be published. Mieko Kawakami's Breasts and Eggs, which was extremely popular in Japan, actually. Uh, Mieko Kawakami has been a huge popular success in Japan, and I think she will be abroad too. She's definitely a writer that's involved in questioning conventional roles in society and women and, you know, the aesthetics around what women are supposed to look like or how they're supposed to behave. So with that in mind, does reading reading literature from Japan challenge or reinforce preconceptions many people outside of Japan have about the country? I think that modern and contemporary Japanese literature is extremely diverse and interesting. So it depends what you read, really, in that sense. If you were to read the texts by the, as you said, the classic male-dominated authorship, as opposed to the text you've just been referring to uh, by increasingly prominent female authors in Japan, what sort of preconceptions would that challenge? Well, if you were to read just sort of the establishment male literature and, mm -hmm. and not, well... I, I like to think that reading and extrapolating meaning resides within the reader anyway. So yeah. I like to think that these texts can't only be read in one way. And the whole thing about the study of literature is returning to texts repeatedly and repeatedly you know, rereading and, and, and in new light and in new ways with new understanding and fresh eyes. And to, to people outside the field, I guess that must sound, you know, just um, obsessional and a little bit nuts. But it's, it's so true that with each sort of new context that we enter into and as our own societies you know, evolve. So, so too, when we reread something that has been written decades ago, we can sort of reach a new understanding of our current situation through that text, if that makes sense. Um, and it is always surprising to me that even, you know, texts that I think of as, or have, have been 
you know, which I originally read as um, uh, in in a way which I sort of felt kind of deflated by or as if I uh, I felt like the meaning had just been thrust upon me and that there was no other alternative way to read what I was reading. I was told how to read it, even even writing such as Natsume Soseki's Kokoro, for instance, <laughs> which to me I found extremely boring, can be read <laughs> in multiple ways. And, you know, and certainly um, we are still sort of on a path of discovery in, in terms of um, how we how we read and understand our world. So um, I wouldn't like I, I'm not someone that sort of likes to differentiate literature either by by gender. I mean, I, I'm someone that does read both male and female literature. And, and in any case, in terms of genders now, I, I don't think it's even a, a thing that's relevant mm-hmm. to understanding text. I think that literature isn't something that can be categorized by gender. And actually, that rather than it being me that's sort of creating this categorization, actually, the, 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 the truth of the matter is that in Japan, you know, you've had these sort of strict categorizations of um, male literature versus uh, women's literature. And... Um, and they they were kind of streamed off from one another for a long time, but I think that has um, long since crumbled. I I hope so anyway. <laughs> and yeah. um, now when we look actually at uh, what gets published today and who wins these literary prizes, we see um, uh, a, a very you know exciting mix of. Um, people and uh, literary genres um, and huge diversity among writers. Um, there are writers from Okinawan, Ainu or resident Korean backgrounds, uh, writers of mixed races, writers who are Japanese citizens but don't live in Japan, writers who aren't Japanese but live in Japan and write in Japanese. And in terms of genre, you have so many, uh, well, the full range of uh, literary genres, crime fiction, science fiction, poetry essay short stories and so on so to conclude then i think that japan has an exceptionally high literary uh, literacy rate um, and people enjoy reading so as a result we have a very vibrant set of texts that are engaged in all manner of significant discussions about domestic and global issues just to go back to the, the whole preconception notion a bit one fairly negative preconception of japan is is the whole weird japan image that japan is this strange other country and certainly some famous authors like haruki murakami can uh, write some rather disturbing stuff do you feel like japanese literature feeds this image of of, of weird japan or is that just a generalization so when, when you're talking about Haruki Murakami, you're talking about this sort of, you know, magical realism or surrealist kind of element of his stories where, you know, we're off chasing sheep in Hokkaido or that kind of thing. And he emerges as a sheep man at the end <laughs> of the story. Um I, I suppose it, it's a fair criticism in that... 
right from the very beginning, and this is sort of going back to, um, you know, the, the Meiji period and um, how Japan began to represent itself was sort of almost triangulated, if you like, in terms of it realised that it could market itself to foreign countries as a as an exotic culture, as being something different. And if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. you sort of also you almost had this embrace of Orientalism <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, exoticization of Japan's own culture by some writers. Although, I mean, this is just speaking in such general broad strokes that mm. um, I'm I'm not sure that this argument really holds up because it's a lot more complicated than that. Really, of I course. think I think it's more fair to say that um, Japanese literature literature is sort of involved in a continuing process of interrogating these questions as to what it means to be Japanese and through that invariably you get these all kinds of versions of what what being Japanese means being held up and contested and um, Haruki if he is doing if he is engaged in such a um, a process would not be the first writer sure to to do such a thing if that makes sense but I think Haruki Murakami's, he is only one writer. I mean, sure. a, a very popular writer, but his writing doesn't define Japanese literature. And there's a lot more out there than, than just him. Well, uh, thank you for your uh, description of modern Japanese literature and the kind of themes we can explore through it. Uh, I'd like to ask you before you finish up, um, what research projects are you currently engaged in? I'm currently I'm um, in, engaged in doing a, a couple of translations of um, Kanai Mieko, who was a, a, a writer who debuted um, in 1968. And I have uh, translated a short story um, called Kuki Otoko no Hanashi, which is the story of the inflated man. And I'm just about to translate something else, um, which is her, which is also written by Kanai uh, Mieko, uh, which is an essay on the evolution of the arts uh, or the perceived evolution of the uh, of the visual arts mm-hmm. um, and sort of questioning the set of theories um, around that. So um, I'm also translating that and um, but uh, beyond uh, these sort of translations, I'm hoping to uh, uh, write a monograph on Kanai Mieko, sort of resituating her early writings within the Japanese avant-garde movement of the 1960s and looking at their sort of intermedial connections with film and uh, performance and art. Lots to work on then. Do you have any time for reading for pleasure? Any titles you'd recommend or are you simply too busy? Yes, I have been reading a little bit for pleasure. Uh, yeah, at the moment I'm reading Sushima Yuko's uh, Territory of Light. And um, 
Um, I'm really looking forward to getting my teeth into um, the Goddess Chronicle, which has been translated by Rebecca Copeland and um, is a uh, novel by Natsuo Kinino. Uh, also, Mieko Kawakami's Breasts and Eggs uh, has been translated and is coming out later this year, I believe. Um, and actually, uh, my confession is that I'm really looking forward to reading Mishima Yukio's Life for Sale, Inochi Urimas, okay. uh, which is also coming out this year, um, and uh, Ogawa Yoko's The Memory Police, which is, uh, again, has recently been translated, and uh, I think you can pre-order copies, but they're not released quite yet. Brilliant. Lots to look forward to then. Thank you for joining us today, Hannah. It's been a real pleasure. Okay, thank you very much, Oliver. You can find links to mentioned research projects in the description below. If this week's episode is awoken the bookworm in you, why not consider applying for our new MA in Interdisciplinary Japanese Studies, where you can discuss and explore your favourite Japanese texts directly with Dr. Hannah Osborne herself. You can find out more at uea.ac.uk forward slash cjs. Join us next time where we will be tackling Japan's international relations with Dr. Ra Mason, lecturer in international relations and Japanese foreign policy. Thank you for listening.